Welcome to another edition of Time Passages. Uh, today's podcast is going to be geared around or centred around a question. Weimar, was it a new political bath? Uh, Steve, why does this one lend quite nicely to the fact that it's a, a big debate? Why are we starting with a question, basically? Um, well, there's two schools of thought on this, really. Um, some would argue that um, the whole v- issue of this new Weimar... Um, Germany um, was flawed from the start um, in so much as the constitution was um, uh, sowed the seeds for its own destruction. Um, Others would argue that actually no, this is incorrect um, and the problem with Germany um, was the result of political events which were actually outside of the control of um, the, the democratic politicians of the time. So it could have, as you say, with the latter historians there, it could have taken a different path if uh, the politicians or the individuals in charge throughout the early and late 1920s um, diverged differently. Um, so, so let's look at this through, through the wider debate. So let's start with the January elections of 1919. Um, there, there was a range of political parties on offer. Um, so you know, it does not disguise the fact that what we see here is continuity, the idea that there are a lot of parties to vote for. And you get that during the uh, Wilhelmine era in itself. Yeah, certainly there were, you know, many of the parties that were involved in the elections um, in July 1919 had been in existence um, throughout the Wilhelmine period. But also there was a, a, an increase and in, there was a lot of new smaller parties that had grown up as a result of the um, you know, the fall of the German Reich. And the results certainly did show representation of parliamentary democracies. You said there was a widespread, you know, you had the far left, you had the far right, you had the parties in the middle. It wasn't a two-horse race, what we would get mainly in uh, US politics uh, during the 1800s and 1900s, where you either got Democrats or Republicans. There is a widespread of uh, different parties to vote for, isn't there? Absolutely. And a lot of these parties weren't what we'd call national parties, some of them were quite regional in their, in their outlook mm. and, their, and, and their scope. But I think it's fair to say, judging by the results of the elections, certainly in July 1919, that you know the vast majority of people who did vote were in favour of you know uh, a new constitution, um, yes, and, there, and there was this strong appetite for for democracy. And I don't always like figures, but, but I will use them here. Is that 76.1 percent voted for democratic parties, which is you know quite a strong number, and that's out of a turnout of voters of 83 percent. So there's people willing to have faith in this in this new system, democracy. Uh, there is evidence from the, from the figures there, and what we get is the three main parties form the uh, sort of Weimar, first Weimar coalition. And that's the SPD, the DDP, and the ZP. There are some issues, though, with this election. Um, the DNVP uh, polled 10.3% of the vote. Now, there's a bit of an issue with this party. Um, because they're backed by elites, aren't they? Yeah, um, Essentially, they they're 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 basically to I suppose cause trouble. Really, they want to turn back the clock. They're anti-democratic. Yeah, and they're they're mainly made up of army officers and landowners. So Absolutely. they've got big interests in the old system and a bit wary, a bit conservative of uh, well, a lot of conservative about new views coming forward through this through this new uh, election in 1919. Yeah, I certainly think that you know if they had a choice they would quite happily have the Kaiser back and do away with the whole democratic system. Yeah, and there's a great quote from the D, uh, DVP leader, uh, who certainly shows his lack of faith in Weimar democracy. He says, Germans do not want a president in a top hat. 
he has to wear a uniform and a fistful of medals. So it kind of says that, uh, you know, that uh, more authoritarian, conservative government is the best way all around. Yeah, and I think from the start, it sort of outlines that, you know, the divide in German politics. Um, you've got the um, the establishment, like you said, the, the landed aristocracy, the... Um, the, the army leadership on one hand who want a continuation of the old system but you've got a, a rise certainly since the beginning of the 20th century uh, the working class has been on the increase and that's reflected in um, the Reichstag elections and the, you know the, the fact that there is um, a greater appetite for this new democracy certainly amongst the rising um, yeah, um, working class and to a lesser extent, the middle class. So I'm just going to underscore the January elections with a great quote from Hugo Proust uh, to the Weimar Assembly. It kind of sums up this, this sort of dual personality with the, the elections of 1919. You know, on the one hand, that it's quite representative, but on the other hand, it still has many of those old traditional parties still getting a, you know, a, set, a degree of say in, in how the country is running. So do you hope to give a parliamentary system to a nation like this one that resists it with every sinew in its body. Our people do not comprehend at all what such a system implies. One finds suspicion everywhere. Germans cannot shake off their old political timidity and their defence to the authoritarian state. Yeah, I mean, that, that quote sort of highlights almost the schizophrenic nature of, um, mm. of German politics at the very start of the, the 1920s, really. So once the elections of January 1919 are underway, the next stage is to formulate and put forward the new constitution, the Weimar Constitution. Uh, this was drafted by uh, the individual of the quote I just uh, introduced there, Hugo Pruss, and uh, 28 committee members came together. Uh, bear in mind this is in the shadow of the Treaty of Versailles. There is a lot of animosity raging on the home front uh, within those in the uh, Vers uh, Hall of Mirrors at Versailles trying to battle out the, um, the, the well, the diktat as they saw it. So they're trying to build this constitution in quite a t uh, tumultuous period, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it shows great credit to them considering the circumstances they they were under. That They managed to come up with the constitution they did, which, you know, in some ways is really far ahead of its time. Well, it's got aspects for influence from the USA and the UK, sort of that federal aspect they're trying to implement uh, within the Constitution. You've got the uh, system of PR, which many see as quite representative, the idea that it brings uh, a cohesive grouping of political parties that could uh, have a say in how the government is running so it seems on the you know bill of rights as well so it seems on the surface that actually it's a fantastic document quite ahead of its time as you say yeah i would agree like i said it does reflect both um the desire to change to move away from um you know the old imperial system towards a democratic one but it also um reflects the need to um respect germany's um Established traditions, especially the fact that there is, a, you know, um, the regional states within Germany do still maintain a role within government. So I, it is a bit I mean, of a balancing act in that respect. Yeah, and I think it would be very hard to introduce a new constitution without uh, keeping some of the old traditions. But I feel, in some ways, we'll probably go on to say that um, keeping those old traditions kind of undermines the constitution quite a lot. Yeah, I'd agree, and it's almost like a half. It turns out to be some sort of 
half-hearted attempt to try and appease everybody. Good um, in theory, but not in necessarily good in practice. Yeah, half-hearted. Yeah, I think maybe if the draftees of the Constitution had been a lot more brutal, um, then maybe we wouldn't see situations arise that did arise later on in the, mm. in the late 1920s. And I think it was kind of quite a dangerous time anyway, 1919, you know, as I've already mentioned. You've got the Treaty of Versailles being signed. You've got, although they're in very small numbers, you've got the far right whipping up um, sentiment about the stab in the back uh, and and disillusionment on the home front, starvation. So it's quite a dangerous time. If you compare many other countries, uh, which I'm not going to do too much detail, but other countries that try to form a new constitution. Um, yeah, sometimes they do it in war. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's the conclusion of a war. But that's always got to be taken into consideration, isn't it? Yeah. So um, let's look at the individuals involved in this uh, makeup of the constitution. What I mean by that is who's in power, uh, who who holds power, etc. So at the very top, then, we have the president. Yeah, um, the president... Effectively, the head of state, um, but with um, extra powers, as we shall see. Um, the, he's elected um, by the people um, in elections that take place every year. Um, and unlike a normal head of state, um, he has considerable powers. Um, also, he has the right to dissolve the Reichstag, is that right? Yeah, he, he can dissolve the Reichstag um, at any time. Um, he can appoint the Chancellor, who would be the equivalent to the, you know, our Prime Minister. Um, although not obliged to, um, tradition dictated that the, the Chancellor would be the leader of the largest political party within mm-hmm. the Reichstag. Um, importantly, um, he was also the Supreme Commander of the Armed Forces. So what we've got in the States, isn't it? In yeah. The American presence. So basically taking that element of power away from... Um, what would be the equivalent of the, the Prime Minister, in this case the Chancellor, which we'll go on to in just a minute. Um, and also, very interestingly, he had the capacity to rule by decree, which means he didn't have to go through the normal diplomatic channels. And this would allow him to, um, in, the, in the time of national emergency, to circumvent the Reichstag and pass laws without the usual uh, resort to you know, um, constitutional debate. Another aspect of the Constitution you've got is the Bill of Rights. Uh, goes hand in hand with uh, the constitution so you have uh, personal liberty is respected you have freedom of speech and freedom from censorship so it's very similar to uh, they've obviously borrowed from the model of the uh, american constitution there trying to trying to input that yeah certainly you know again it it's quite far ahead of its time, certainly from a European point of view. And like you rightly said, it is modelled on the on the American uh, the model. Um, you know, apart from the things that you know you just mentioned, Chris, there's also you know the the idea of equality before the law for all Germans, including okay. men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, religious freedom and religious conscience. So, what this means in practice is there's no such thing as a state church. Mm, mm. You know, there's no state religion. So yeah, very very. Um, very liberal in that respect. So let's look then at analysing the constitution in itself, and we might bring up quite a lot of issues here, as well as some of the positives. So we're going to kind of break this down into three parts. So we're going to look at the introduction of PR, proportional representation. We're going to go back again over the presidential role and see how effective that was, and then have a look at the traditional institutions. Um, were, were they changed, uh, remodelled, or were they kept intact? If so, was that an issue? 
So let's look first then at the introduction of proportional representation. Steve, do you just want to give a quick skirt over the difference between, say, first past the post, which we have in the UK uh, political system, and what this proportional representation is? Um, yeah, proportional. Re I knew you'd give me that dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> um, proportional representation basically allocates a percentage of votes in the Reichstag which are directly proportional to the percentage of votes that that party got in the elections. Um, rather than um, in the traditional first past the post idea is where you are the first party to reach X amount of yeah. votes. Yeah. Um, it, can, it is seen as a fairer system because it does truly represent um, the view of, of the population as a whole. Um, so the results aren't skewed in favour of one political party. Always what I include in my teaching, and it's one that gets uh, across quite effectively though, is that uh, it leads to a lot of coalitions, doesn't it? The idea that you don't have an outright winner. So for instance, okay, we can get coalitions in first past the post, is a system, you know, we've seen that quite recently in many uh, UK general elections, but you normally get a dominant winner, don't you? Absolutely. I, I think the problem with PR in Germany at this time was the fact there was such a huge range of political parties. Yeah, there was a lot. I there think was there was in excess of 100 political parties in existence. And if so you compare that with the British political system, we don't have that many, do no. we? So it, it is, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like I said, some of them national, some of them regional. So, you know, that effectively splits the vote down. So it is very difficult, if not almost impossible, for one or two parties to dominate and get an overall majority. So that's, that, that's really the killer, isn't it? Yeah. It's the idea that you might have three or four parties. And yes, they might get along. So, for instance, as we said, we have the SPD, the DDP and the ZP. And they seem to be quite closely represented. But imagine if that electorate... Uh, of parties was more differentiated so you had a coalition of three vastly different parties which to highlight you do get a little bit later on in the 1920s that's where the, you know the communication breaks down and another election is called or so it does create issues yeah i mean i would argue that even if you've got a coalition of parties that do get along if you put them under mm, immense political stress um, then there's always going to be that danger of fragmentation and you know the government falling apart and then we go through the whole cycle of elections and when, when elections have been fought then government is not carrying its, uh, its primary role which is to govern so you know and it also allows for small splinter parties to have a say and I guess here and I don't want to stress too much this early on but you could argue the Nazi party and other far right or far left parties having a say yeah, having seats basically yeah certainly that's one criticism that was levelled um, at this PR idea in 1945 after the Second World War um, but I'm not entirely sure that um, PR is 100% to blame for well there is a theory that. out there that actually first past the post might have given a greater edge to extremist parties like the Nazis. So you could you could see that in a different light, that actually PR is a better system yeah. for pushing out extremist parties. Yeah, and I think it would be very naive and very silly to sort of just blame one particular aspect for the rise of extremist parties and ultimately Adolf Hitler coming into power. Mm. Yeah, that's too simplistic. But I think we can underline that what their intention here was to be more representative, and we've got to give them credit for that. Absolutely, you know, in, in theory, it's, you know, it is a brilliant system, so far ahead of its time. 
the second aspect that we were going to look at is the role of the president. Um, so employed basically is a system of checks and balances. I mean, that's what it is effectively in the US. The president uh, has a certain role, a function of like, passing bills and laws. And um, yeah, it's, it's basically a check and balance between the Reichstag, the chancellor, and himself, the president. I think the fear was uh, was that the Reichstag could become too powerful, that yeah. people could have too much of a say. Yeah, I think certainly this was introduced to, um, you know, calm the fears of the, you know, the right wing nationalist element within within Germany, the, which you know, weren't used to democracy. Absolutely not. You know, um, you know it's, it's rather ironic. You've, they're not used to democracy, and they're also feared of. Uh, they're afraid of what potentially could happen, i.e., uh, communist revolution, which had happened in um, Russia um, in in 1917. So I think this idea of um, which ties quite nicely into why he's got that sort of uh, commander-in-chief type role yeah. uh, where he's in charge of the army. Uh, you know, the fear that there could be a coup or there could be a revolt yeah. within the army. You know, you can then use the army as president to put down a revolt from mm. the left or the right. Um, so you can see why they embed that role of commander-in-chief as part of the president. Absolutely. Um, and like I said, e even down to... Um, the ability to call and dismiss the chancellor you mm. know he, he's, st he's still got that that extra level of power so whilst the whilst the chancellor is there to to run the country and to to draft legislation um if in theory it's going down a route that maybe um certain elements in german society don't like then the president's got the power to pull the plug on that. And I think the greatest hinge is the one that students always pick on no matter what level they study uh, Weimar Germany is Article 48. Uh, it's just one article amongst many. Uh, it's, as you said earlier, it gives the right of the president to suspend um, civil rights in the emergency, to suspend use of the Reichstags so bypassing it. Mm. And while that is great in theory, it's riddled with sort of doubts and uh, misguidance because what is an emergency? Uh, and that's the fundamental problem because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't spell out specifically what constitutes an emergency. It is so vague. And you can see why it's been made vague in order for it to be used in any context that might arise that they may not foresee. But at the same time, um, it could be abused, can't it? Absolutely. And, and it um, did get abused, as we'll see in later podcasts. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, it has been argued that I know you're going to mention this later on, but it actually helped Hitler to amass greater power in '33. Um, so yeah, and it begs the question as well with with the president: who actually is in power? Because he, as you rightly said, is only meant to be seen as a figurehead. Yet here is a man, or potentially later on, um, yeah, is a man who um, can suspend civil rights and can basically control the army in a, in a crisis or an emergency so it begs the question is he just a figurehead it seems that he has in my view a lot more power than the system gives him credit for i i think he's a substitute kaiser personally or but you've got the potential to be a substitute kaiser yeah. and i think they're not willing to get rid of that you know the the old hanging on aspect of, of, of monarchy it, it's monarchy. it's almost like it's a um a get out of jail card if things do go horribly wrong with this democratic experiment then we can resort we, we can resort back to the president and then you know you can 
give him a title president, but ultimately he is, yeah. he's the Kaiser yeah. in disguise, isn't he? So let's go on to the last aspect before we conclude today's podcast, and that is the traditional institutions. One of the big criticisms is that uh, actually they maintained quite a lot of the old Wilhelmine system, and actually that undermined Weimar government and the Weimar constitution right from the very start. So I think this is the killer, really, for me, is that there was no revision, no fundamental change of the old traditional institutions of imperial Germany. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, it's a bit... If if you want to um, compare it with what went on in Russia um, in 1917, there was a revolution. Everything was swept yeah, away, and it yeah. was rebuilt from scratch. Here, the only thing that's left is the Kaiser. The Kaiser's abdicated. We've got... Um, the introduction of democracy, I use inverted commas, um, which is fine, but all of the traditions that help support the democratic government, all those conservative traditions, are left intact, untouched. Yeah. So it's a bit like a Lego set, isn't it? You've bought some more Lego and you just add it to the pot and you just build a new house. This mixture of... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the analogy I would use. And, I mean, you just have to look at the civil service, for instance. You know, well-educated... Uh, professional, that's what you want in a civil service, but traditionally they're still conservative. They haven't changed their outlook on you know, how they're going to run the civil service. You've got the judiciary, traditionally this is independent, um, and its heart didn't really lie with the republic. No, I mean, you just got to look at the, you know, the early um, revolutions that um, racked Weimar Germany, um, you know, and, and the political assassinations that went on. Um, and the number of perpetrators that are actually brought to justice. You compare right-wing assassins with left-wing assassins, and there was more left-wing assassins who were actually exactly, yeah. sentenced to death than right-wing. So that shows where um, the judiciary's um, favours lie. They they lay with the right and were totally opposed to the left. So, so you've got the civil service, the judiciary, but you've also got the armed services as well, who yeah. are very conservative. Yeah. And, you know, we, we've seen it in previous podcasts talking about, you know, the Fry Corps and putting yeah. down revolts and revolutions, uh, sort of rise of certain generals after sort of 1922-23. So very set in their ways. Universities are the same. They're very much based on the old traditional lines. So with these powerful conservative forces, it's very hard to craft a truly democratic constitution, I feel. Um, but yeah. could they have done it? I mean, on reflection, maybe it was too difficult in the climate. I th I th but I think I th it's the killer anyway. I think, yeah, I think this is, you're right, this is the killer. I think if political circumstances had been different in the early 1920s, um, if the new constitution um, or the new democratic government had had an easier ride, um, then I think maybe over time, then they could have one by one maybe tackled the issues of conservatism within these different parts you know these different parts of the um germany's traditions i suppose the you know the army the civil service etc etc but as we know um life's never perfect and I, they never got around to it and they never had a chance so it brings us back to the question that we had at the start weimar was it a political new birth? I think we've got to give it credit for trying. You know, yes, it did die on the January, 30th of Jan January 1933, but I think it lasted for a long while. 
as we'll see in later podcasts when we look at figures like Gustav Stresemann and uh, the end of hyperinflation and things like that. I think it did ha last for so long. If you look at something like the provisional government uh, in Russia in 1917 um, uh, and how that lasted, you know, only just short of a year, this lasted a good, nearly a good, well, more than a good decade. Yeah. So we've we, we've got to give it credit for what it what it's trying to achieve. But I think fundamentally there is a like a leaking barrel. There is a few holes inside that are slowly emptying the water out. And that is for me the killer. Is is a said stated already the traditional institutions. They're not willing to totally remodel, start from scratch, um, their political system. Yeah, and I think, you know, the institutions that are running the country, if they're not on board um, with your vision, then, you know, you're not going to succeed. And I think exactly. that, that's the basic problem. So, till next time, see you again. Thanks for listening. Bye now.